listen, y'all. If you have not caught my two conversations with Edgar Rivera Colon and Claudio Carvalhas, um, the two conversations that we started off 2021 with, you've got to. Okay, I really don't want you or anyone to miss out on. They bro, they both bring such depth and breadth to our spirituality, to our analysis of what's happening in the world, and also to our imagination as to the worlds that we are striving to build. So I really, really encourage you to go check those out. But today we are going to start a series on The Wretched of the Earth, which is a book written by Franz Fanon. It's an incredible book. I think it's a book that we should all take uh, take seriously. Now, I actually already recorded this several, several months ago, and I posted the first two episodes on chapter one and chapter two as bonus episodes, but I'm no longer doing bonus episodes, and now I'm, so I'm just kind of releasing these to, uh, to everyone. And so, yeah, um, I'm not going to change anything, even though I, you know, I re-listened and I've been thinking about the book since then I'm like oh there's so many other really interesting things that we could talk about and I'd say some things maybe a little bit differently but oh well what's important now is that y'all can check out the series again this is the first episode uh, of a multi-part series I'm not for sure how many more episodes I'm going to do but the first two will be out within January and then I'll probably do the third Uh, sometime in in February, and we'll keep on going from there. But just a heads up, the first episode is on decolonization and also a conversation around violence. And I think it's a really, really important conversation to be had in Christian circles. And then the second episode, we're going to talk about organizing, right? And organization in relation to spontaneity and and mobilization. So hopefully that kind of uh, gets you interested in these two different, these first episodes. And uh, with that said, we're going to get it rolling. And I hope you enjoy this series, the Faith and Capital series on the Wretched of the Earth by Franz Fanon. What will it take for the last to be first and the first last, for everything to be transformed and everything thought anew? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're starting off our Faith and Capital bonus episodes with a series on the Wretched of the Earth by Franz Fanon. I'm not sure how many episodes I'll do for this series, but I'm going to start with the first chapter and go from there. It is not a book for the faint of heart. But I would say that it very much is a book that should be engaged by any Christian seriously committed to the struggle for socialism into global struggles against white supremacy, neo-colonialism, and imperialism. So if your faith leads you to condemn the violence of this world and materially seek its radical transformation, as I believe it should, then I think this book offers us a bunch of really important lessons to be learned. I also think Fanon stands in the tradition of building upon and expanding Marxism, but we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next episode on chapter two. The plan for this episode uh, is to zoom in on chapter one, concerning violence. What I'll do is I'll kind of go back and forth between pulling out some points that I found interesting and reflecting upon what Fanon is saying. But before we do that, it's an important it's important to understand a little bit about who Fanon is and who he is writing to. Fanon is a psychotherapist writing at the peak of the Algerian War for Independence, which spanned from 1954 to 1962. 
And as a psychotherapist, Fanon worked with both patients who were brutalized by the violence of colonialism and patients who were directly or indirectly participants in the violence of colonialism. But The Wretched of the Earth is not written to the colonizer. The Wretched of the Earth is written specifically to peoples living under the colonial rule of capitalist empires. And so, as we engage the text, I want to invite listeners, particularly from colonizing and imperialist countries like the U.S., to hear it through two different lenses. On one hand, we, U.S. Americans, live in a colonial and imperialist nation. Whether we like it or not, our lives are profoundly shaped by the U.S.'s past and present colonization of other lands, of other peoples, of other people's labor and natural resources. So on one hand, this book is written to the nations that we are sucking all of their resources out of, or at least deliberately preventing their economic and social flourishing. But on the other hand, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. It is one of the fastest growing metropolises in the U.S., and it is now the second biggest banking city in the country. Capital has been flooding into the city, and the profits being seized here are sustained by a massive labor force working for poverty wages, terrible working conditions, brutal homelessness, rising rents, an unreachable housing market for more and more charlatans, and a well-armed, well-funded, militarized police force. And while individual racism and anti-worker prejudice are very explicit here, Charlotte is structurally anti-worker anti-renter, anti-debtor, anti-black, anti-Hispanic, anti-poor, and anti-immigrant. You might have it easier if you're in, in the finance industry or real estate, but uh, which of course are disproportionately white. But outside of that, unless you're upper management or are yourself a boss, a landlord, or a developer, or are born into a more well-off white capitalist family, you can expect to work 50 to 60 plus hour weeks Rarely have a full weekend, be sending your kids to an underfunded or over-policed school for education, and have a pretty sad social life because this city is not built for human flourishing. It is built for white capitalists, and the richest white capitalists at that. And so I think this book has import for the masses of people living in places like Charlotte, North Carolina, too. Communities in the U.S. with incredible degrees of class, racial, and gender oppression, which just about speaks to most of the U.S. right now. So I invite listeners from particular parts of the world to hear these words as both the colonizer and the colonized, the one who is complicit in the colonization of others and the one under some form of exploitative and oppressive rule. Last thing, Fanon genders all humanity as man. I'm not going to change this language, but instead, let's let that be his failure. And with that said... This opening episode is going to look at three things. Number one, the violence of decolonization. Two, the failure of workers in settler nations to support and defend the revolutions of colonized peoples. And three, how colonized people can be united through collective struggle against their colonizers. Let's begin. Fanon opens up this chapter discussing the violent nature of decolonization. But to see how decolonization could itself be such a violent process, we have to understand how, first, the colonial relationship between whom Fanon refers to as the settler and the native is constituted by violence. A colonial relationship is a violently structured 
relationship. After naming that decolonization sets out to change the order of the world, in an attempt to materially ground his analysis of decolonization, he writes that decolonization, quote, is a historical process. That is to say that it cannot be understood, it cannot become intelligible, nor clear to itself, except in the exact measure that we can discern the movements which give it historical form and content. Decolonization is the meeting of two forces, opposed to each other by their very nature, which in fact owe their originality to that sort of substantification which results from and is nourished by the situation in the colonies." End quote. What Fanon is suggesting here is that we resist abstracting what colonialism and decolonialism are from the historical and material realities of colonization. Settlers and natives, colonizers and colonized peoples, these groups are defined by their relation, their historical relation to one another. Quote, their first encounter was marked by violence, and their existence together that is to say, the exploitation of the native by the settler, was carried on by dint of a great array of bayonets and cannon, end quote. And a few, a few lines down, he continues, quote, For it is the settler who has brought the native into existence and who perpetuates his existence. The settler owes the fact of his very existence, that is to say, his property, to the colonial system, end quote. Here we can see that Fanon is identifying the dialectical relationship of the colonizer and the colonized, which is constituted, right? It's defined by violence, whether that violence be direct or systemic or symbolic. But these aren't just individual relationships of violence for Fanon, or even relationships simply between a, sim a single capitalist country and a particular people fighting for nationhood. No, the entire world including its economy, is organized by violence. It's structured around the exploitation and domination of some human beings by others. And with this understanding, we can turn to decolonization. Fanon opens up the wretched of the earth, saying, quote, National liberation, national renaissance, the restoration of the nationhood to the people, commonwealth, Whatever may be the headings used or the new formulas introduced, decolonization is always a violent phenomenon. End quote. If colonized peoples hope to one day get free from their colonizer, Fanon says, it will be through revolutionary violence. You cannot persuade or convince the settler, the colonizing nation, or the ruling class to give up their role as exploiter and oppressor. Concessions may be given and conditions may be reformed, but structural transformation, the replacement of one order of things with an entirely other order of things, has historically never occurred without revolutionary violence. And the processes of colonialism and decolonialism are deeply processes that transform what it means to be human. Struggles for emancipation are struggles over who gets to decide not just who is human, but what it means to be human. Fanon writes, quote, decolonization never takes place unnoticed, for it influences individuals and modifies them fundamentally, end quote. He continues, quote, decolonization is the veritable creation of new men, but this creation owes nothing of its legitimacy to any supernatural power. 
the thing which has been colonized becomes man during the same process by which it frees itself, end quote. Here, we might say that this is not a freeing of people to be who they are essentially. The native will not simply be included into humanity as it has already been defined by the settler, but rather the colonized can participate in the redefining of what it means to be human through revolutionary struggle. And to his point on the colonized uh, freeing themselves, perhaps as Christians we might think of it like this, that God cannot free people by God's self, but is committed to struggling with people in their fight for freedom. That as co-creators with God, colonized peoples can participate in the recreation and the reorganization of the world and even what it means to be bearers of God's own image. In Decolonization, Fanon writes, quote, There is therefore the need of a complete calling in question of the colonial situation. If we wish to describe it precisely, we might find it well in the well-known words, The last shall be first, and the first last. Decolonization is the putting into practice of this sentence. That is why, if we try to, to describe it, all decolonization is successful, end quote. All right, so now Fanon has echoed some words of Jesus as criteria for what decolonization looks like materially, but to wrap up this description of decolonization and this naming of what is necessary to topple the colonial relationship, he implores colonized peoples to understand, quote, for if the last shall be first, this will only come to pass after a murderous and decisive struggle between the two protagonists, end quote. And this might be a good place to move on to the next point. Again and again, people in settler countries, even the masses of exploited and oppressed workers in capitalist nations, fail to support and defend the armed struggles for liberation by colonized peoples. While the U.S. is profoundly divided internally by class and by race and by sex and by sexual orientation, the world is also divided into disproportionately white countries with capital and disproportionately non-white countries without capital. And yet, working class peoples of imperialist nations often fail to condemn and disrupt the violence perpetrated against working peoples of other lands. I can't help but think here of how, since the bourgeois revolution of 1776 in the United States, that freed white male English capitalists and slave owners from British powers and enabled them to rule over everyone else who were either wage, indentured, or enslaved workers, the white portion of the working class has overwhelmingly supported U.S. imperialism and colonization. And... While the majority of U.S. Americans have not been able to free themselves from capitalist exploitation, from heteronormativity and patriarchy, and from white supremacy, the bottom majority in the U.S. today does not question the U.S.'s global economic and military presence. And that, Fanon says, is something that peoples of more formerly colonized lands can't wait on to change. I won't stay here but for a minute, but I think it's so important for us to be engaging other Christians on U.S. and European imperialism and neocolonialism, just the sheer brutality of its past and present. Especially listeners who live in the belly of the beast with me, the ruling class of the United States is not going to go down without a fight. And we have to be really careful, because they could easily make concessions. 
Maybe throw out some universal health care, or force some rent control, or maybe give us some worker protection. All this not because they give a shit about you, me, our loved ones, people rotting away in prisons or in poverty, but because they need national support to continue to wage this global war. And as the U.S. and its allies continue to ramp up their bipartisan threats against China, they will need the masses of exploited and oppressed U.S. Americans to champion the fight. It's something we need to start confronting in our communities and organizations right now. And to wrap this up, the last point of Fanon's that I wanted to highlight from this opening chapter is that while colonizers use violence to divide and conquer the colonized, it is through collective struggle, through solidarity, through revolutionary violence that colonized peoples of different tribes and different villages are united. Exploiters and oppressors will do everything they can to pit the masses of people against one another, to keep liberation from being achieved and radical transformation from being realized. We can look at this on a global level, on a national level, or even within a particular workplace. Yet, it is through struggle against common oppressors, through violence waged against systems of exploitation and oppression, that people can be brought together. So what will it take for the last to be first and the first last? For everything to be transformed and everything thought anew? Fanon says that in a world constituted by violence, a world ruled by capitalism, white supremacy, and heteropatriarchy. The oppressed must not be bought with concessions or reforms. Rather, the native must fight colonizing violence with revolutionary violence, or forever remain under the boot of the settler. Fanon concludes, quote, But it is clear that we are not so naive as to think that this will come about with the cooperation and the goodwill of the European governments. This huge task, which consists of reintroducing mankind into the world, the whole of mankind, will be carried out with the indispensable help of the European peoples, who themselves must realize that in the past they have often joined the ranks of our common masters, where colonial questions were concerned. To achieve this, the European peoples must first decide to wake up and shake themselves, use their brains, and stop playing the stupid game of the sleeping beauty, end quote. Next up, chapter two. We're going to discuss the importance of local and particular struggles, the relation between spontaneous rebellions and more organized revolutions. And we're also going to consider the limits of hate and resentment for sustaining long struggles for liberation. Thanks for listening. We'll talk soon. <laughs>